It is the 200 Level Live from the basement for episode 62, and we're going to title this one, Let's Try This Again. I feel like we need a mulligan after what happened last Friday, and my, I don't know, I don't want to call it hyperbolic, but episode 61, the eve of the moment, I was trying to capture a moment in time that I hope would have some payoff, like the good kind of payoff. And instead, well, you know what happened on Friday. We're going to get in that in just a second. Got to thank, of course, our sponsors, DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. That's where you order. If you are working or living in Champaign-Urbana, they deliver anywhere. So whether it's a business lunch or just a calzone for the evening, there are a few food options out there that have better bang for your buck than DP Doe. So again, dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. And if you enter coupon code 200 level, you'll get 10% off your order. They got great swag there. And they're also at the Illini Union Bookstore on campus. So again, that's fourthandkirby.com. Great place to get your Illini swag as we enter what should still be a very meaningful march for this Illini basketball team. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your home, auto, business, life, renters, insurance needs. Visit online at Brian is my guy for all the information that you need. All of their agents actually at that office are Champaign-Urbana products. So they have a local touch and they can help you out again with life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. BrianIsMyGuy.com. And a thanks to Illini Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network for their partnership in the 200 level. So it's episode 62 and we are now, let's see, almost a week removed from when I would have last recorded. It was last Tuesday when I sat behind the mic preparing for the moment. The eve of the moment. Put that podcast out last Wednesday, and I appreciate the response from everybody because I think we all felt that excitement and that anticipation that this could be one of those moments that we would remember forever. And we didn't get that. So let's start with Friday because I woke up with that feeling in my stomach, that pit in the stomach feeling that I had not had been a line eye game in years and really probably over a decade. John Gross, that first year, I know there were moments of excitement. There was the Indiana game, the beating number one at home in February. There was the great non-conference stretch. But it felt like this was a little bit different in that we had been building up to it. And what you ultimately got was a result not that different from when a top 10 Minnesota team came to town. I think they were top 10 in early 2013. I think it was Trevor Mbakwe, that team with Tubby Smith. And they ended up spanking Illinois in what was otherwise a great environment. My dad and I even commented that night thinking, this feels like the old assembly hall. And then you just didn't get the payoff. But Friday, I'm at school and the work day is just dragging and dragging. I cannot be alone in that. Get home at 3 o'clock and before I even went to Scotty's, I had to make a drink because my nerves were just really going crazy. And I thought, okay, well, let's party. This is a Friday night. It's Illinois, Maryland at the State Farm Center. The opportunity is right there in front of us. Get to Scotty's Brew House with my sister and brother-in-law and my good friend Kenton. And we're just sitting there talking, and it's so difficult to not get super pumped in the moments before the game, before we even left to go to the State Farm Center. The atmosphere at Scotty's. Palpable buzz, as John Rostein would say. And I'm sure there's plenty of other places in Champaign-Urbana that have that same thing. People getting good and liquored up for the Illini game, knowing that this was a potential moment. And then you get to the stadium, and you could feel, again, this sense of, oh, my God, this could be it. You know, national television audience, Scott Van Pelt in the building, who was very cool, it looks like, with all the fans that were down courtside. And we settle in for starting lineups, for the tip, and you take an early lead after, I think, being down 7-4, to four, and then you end up taking a 17-7 lead. That's a Maryland timeout right there, and I think the first technical that they got on their bench. Eventually, you stretch this thing to 30 to 15. At that moment, I had to go to the restroom, and I actually had a bounce, a literal bounce in my step as I was going out of the concourse, thinking not only are we going to win this thing, but we're going to win it handily. We're going to make a statement. This is something that they'll be talking about on SportsCenter later tonight and then all the college basketball stuff over the weekend. Illinois beats Maryland by 15 points at home, takes sole possession of first place in the Big Ten, yada, yada. And then the last 30 minutes of the game happen. And that's almost what makes it more difficult to deal with than even a buzzer-beating loss. You could taste victory from the outset. You could taste a resounding victory against a Maryland team that you had already taken down to the wire in Maryland and probably should have won that game if not for the Anthony Cowan 30-footer. But instead, like death by slow drip or a thousand paper cuts, whatever kind of metaphor you want to throw out there... Maryland took the game over. If we're trying to make the loss more palatable somehow, easier to take, it would be that Maryland was just simply the better team. 
They were. And if you play that game 10 times, the way those two teams played that night, Illinois is not going to win any of them. I'm starting to think, too, with Maryland playing as well they have the last few weeks, that if Illinois and this Maryland team played 10 times on a neutral court, all things equal, that Maryland is probably winning six or seven. They're just the better team than you are. So, okay, fine. Maybe that makes it a little bit easier to take. But you were at home. You had the previous experience against Maryland, even bad Illinois teams taking Maryland to the limit or beating them, just as they did last year at Madison Square Garden, or just as they should have in Brad Underwood's first year, that game in December at the State Farm Center where you had the game in hand and then DeMonte had the inbounds pass that wasn't and, well, you know the rest. So everything felt like, you know, the recipe for that special night, it was all right there. We could all taste it and we could all taste it within the first 10 minutes of game time. But then a few things happened. The first thing that really happened was Trent Frazier getting his second foul. And this is something Brad Underwood even talked about in the postgame, that he might have to reevaluate how he deals with foul trouble. Trent Frazier is nowhere to be seen for the rest of that first half, and he had hit some shots for you early on, making me think that this is going to be one of those Trent nights. I mean, my God, DeMonte, he hits two threes early on. That's a whole other thing. But Trent looked like Trent early, and defensively he brings a lot to the table as well. Instead, you take all the rhythm and momentum away from Trent's game, and he wasn't able to recapture that in the second half. Meanwhile, Maryland makes their inevitable run. The problem is, it felt like the second point here, you absorbed the first blow from Maryland, and you stretched the lead back out to, I think, seven with two and a half to go, seven or eight points, only for Maryland to again punch back and get it within two right before half. At that moment, no one felt good. And you could feel it. You know, halftime starts, and not that people are that into the halftime entertainment, but you could also sense this anxiety and unease. I think Illinois fans have been trained in that way, that we expect the worst, and unfortunately, Friday didn't do anything to bring us back to the land of optimism, right? Instead, we're thinking, oh, God, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, which is exactly what happened when Maryland made that last three before the half. I hated that. But then I try to convince myself that, hold on, all you got to do is just play them even in the second half. And I thought that we could do that. I thought that given that Trent had not been on the court, given that you had to take Kofi and Georgie out a little bit in spurts as well because of two fouls, that with all hands on deck, we could get this done. What I did not account for was the zone that Maryland implemented being that successful for that much game time. And it was. It got maddening in the second half, the first eight-minute stretch of the second half, where you couldn't get anything going. And I think you started 0 for 7 from the field. But more than that, you weren't getting the ball across the timeline until there's 20 seconds uh, left on the shot clock anyway, at which point all momentum, all rhythm was lost, and you were just kind of scrambling at the end of the shot clock for anything, for something. Couple that with all the Miss Bunnies. Man, were there Miss Bunnies all night. And it's the kind of game where you wanted to pull your hair out. You wanted to get so pumped, and you had that moment. You did have that moment, down one. You get another stop. I think this is about six and a half to go, seven minutes to go. You get the stop. Georgie, I think it's the board. And then he throws it away. It was just a weird play. It was a bad exchange. He wasn't really looking out for the Maryland guy. Didn't take account of him. And then Maryland stretches it back out to a four-point lead just like that. Another made three, which they made plenty. We need to talk about Georgie real quick. Uh, This is usually a macro podcast, but that is something that's been really troubling. Not just the last two games, but you could go back to the game at Wisconsin, where I know Georgie helped you get that final stop, but that was only after Georgie missed the free throw to begin with. And then Wisconsin has the ball with a chance to win. Georgie has not been right all year. And I'm starting to wonder, well, last year, because of a bad team, is he one of those players that on a bad team is going to get his just because someone's got to score? And then when you up the ante a little bit, he's just going to kind of, I don't know about regress, but become less of a factor. That's a concern because there are, unfortunately, maybe on one hand could we count the really good Georgia games this year. And I'm having a hard time remembering them myself. Michigan home in December, I thought that, well, Georgie's figured something out. He can play the four. He can play with Kofi. He can play smart. The entry passes can be excellent at times. He can be a very heady player. We saw that in Michigan at home in December. Unfortunately, since then, We see all too often a very reckless Georgie, careless. And it's tough as a 33-year-old guy behind a microphone that the highest level of basketball I ever played was 7th grade Park District, okay? I understand that this is kind of ridiculous by nature to criticize someone who is 
by all accounts, a very good basketball player. But he's also someone who started every single game since he's been here. So while he is young, a 19-year-old, I think, a sophomore, these are mistakes that are not characteristic of someone that has started all 40-something games of their college career. You want these kinks to be worked out. You don't want your sophomore who started every game since he's been here to be making these crushing mistakes. And it was. And we could say, well, listen, Illinois had plenty of other opportunities in that game to win it. They did. They absolutely did. And even if you go down and score then, does that mean that Maryland doesn't go off on the run that they did the last six minutes of the game? Which that was impressive. Anytime you need to stop, you weren't getting it. I don't know. But I would like to see what that alternate universe looks like with Illinois having the ball, a chance to take the lead. State Farm Center was going nuts. And the minute that Maryland hit that three after stealing the bad pass from Georgie, the air just right out of the balloon. And that was essentially it. From that moment on, you felt like, well, this is going to be a minor miracle if we pull off this win. At that moment on, it felt like this would be an upset. It didn't feel that way up until that moment. It felt like, man, we aren't playing well, and maybe we'll get this. At that moment, it said, well, not in the cards tonight, and gosh darn it, that's too bad. And then you sit there, back to this death by a thousand paper cuts or death by slow drip, and if you're at the stadium, you just kind of sit in it, and you don't go anywhere. The game ended, and my friend Kent and I were just sitting in our seats, not even exchanging a word because we were both ticked off for one. We didn't know what to say. There was nothing that either of us could say that were going to make each other feel better. No amount of cathartic grr, rage or whatever was going to fix the fact that we missed this opportunity and that we had paid top dollar to get in the stadium that night because we felt like this could be it, right? This could be a big moment and we wanted to be there. And it's not like I look at that and think, well, I'm never going to a game again, but it certainly reminds me that sports, unlike concerts, for example, very rarely have I ever left a concert that I paid top dollar for underwhelmed or disappointed, maybe once or twice, ever. And that's the difference, right? As my dad used to say about Dave Matthews shows, you know, you go for the tailgate and your team always wins. Well, unfortunately for Illinois sports, all too often you go to the tailgate for the big game. And in the last decade, they just haven't been able to put it together. And there's still opportunities for that. And I don't think after one game that my opinion on this team has changed all that much, but damn it, you know, it was right there. It was right there despite the fact that we know this team has flaws. We know that offensively they can disappear for stretches. But that was deflating. It was disheartening. It was a bummer for all 16,000 people in attendance, for all the people watching home on a Friday night, probably with friends. A lot of people made appointments to go out to a bar to watch it. You know, So you feel that palpable buzz, as John Rothstein says, and you don't want to lose that. I don't think one game alone does that. But unfortunately... Losing that first game at home puts you in the inevitable position of kind of having to win this next one. And what makes it almost worse with Michigan State coming to town is what luster is there on that matchup? Trust me, I want to win it badly. Kara and I are going. She'll be wearing her Michigan State green. I'm wearing my orange. I want to win it badly because I still think that the really good season is on the table. But imagine had you won Friday. It doesn't matter that Michigan State's not ranked. You would come into this almost like a victory lap. You know, you beat Maryland and now you're going to beat Michigan State. Now you're going to be 10 and 3 in conference in the driver's seat. We got to put all those things aside right now, as disappointing as that is, and recalibrate. Recalibrate these expectations about, well, what is this team? What constitutes a successful season? Now, at this point, the very good season, like I said, is still on the table, and it begins against Michigan State. That's why we call this episode, Let's Try This Again, because it does feel like Michigan State offers you a mulligan, even though, no, they are not a top 10 team. They are struggling. They are not the Michigan State of old. The scary thing, of course, is knowing Tom Izzo, they can flip that switch on rather quickly, and it does feel like you are playing a wounded dog. Maryland was not that. Maryland came in confident, and that's what you saw. So maybe it isn't good to play the confident team. Maybe it is better to play the wounded dog. And listen, no matter how you try to spin it, you'd rather play this Michigan State team as they're playing right now than the way Maryland is playing. You know, this is the better matchup because Michigan State right now is not all that great. You know they got Cassius Winston. Tillman has kind of been out of sorts. It's been a very weird season for him. They got some young guys, you know, but other than that, there's not a lot that scares you unless, just like the great equalizer, like we saw with Maryland, you start hitting threes. Now, does Michigan State have as many guys? that This was so scary about Maryland going forward, too. Their shooters can also take it to the hole. So if you overcommit, then they'll still make something happen. And you throw in a Jalen Smith on top of that. 
There is no Jalen Smith on Michigan State. Tillman is not Jalen Smith. Cassius Winston, every bit as good as Anthony Cowan. The supporting cast, not as good as Maryland, especially not right now. Can they flip that switch that quickly? I don't know. I think they got some digging out to do, Michigan State. But yeah, you know, they are still the wounded dog. And I really didn't like it watching Michigan State lose at Michigan because I'm thinking, oh my God, there's no way these guys are going to lose four games in a row now, is there? Maybe. They are unranked. That's deserved. They are not playing good basketball right now. But you did beat them at home last year. Um, The game back in January, if you reflect on it, it was really more of a matter of Illinois just not making shots. Game got away from them in the second half, but Illinois was somehow hanging in there despite having one of the worst shooting nights ever. So, you know, Michigan State winning by 20 points. Well, guess what? If we return the favor and Michigan State goes one for 19 from three, we're probably winning by 20 points tomorrow night too. What's going to happen? I don't know. You know, this is what's kind of scary in this position. If you beat Michigan State, the very good season is still on the table because now all of a sudden you're back to nine and four, right? Nine and four in conference. Sole possession of second place, I believe, though I'd have to check Penn State and I'll pull up those standings now. By the way, Penn State, 13th in the nation, and it's deserved. So the Rutgers-Penn State swing coming up, you kind of want to win at Rutgers because I don't think it's going to happen to Bryce Jordan, not the way Penn State's playing. But you look at the standings now. So as I'm watching that Michigan-Michigan State game on Saturday, I'm thinking, ah, man, I don't like the fact that Michigan State's going to come in like that. But then the other part of it is, well, wait a second. That's another loss for them. And if you are playing for second place, yes, I know the Big Ten title's on the table, but I I still want to increase the seeding and ensure that Illinois is top four and doesn't have to play until Friday of the Big Ten tournament. They're still on pace to do that. The encouraging thing, too, is you look at this week, Penn State will be playing at Purdue 5.30 Tuesday night before Illinois plays Michigan State. The way Purdue is playing, Penn State, you get them their fifth loss in the conference. You beat Michigan State, and you increase that separation. Iowa, I think the way that that schedule's set up, they'll probably finish about 13-7 and or 12-8. and So everything's right there for you to maintain that distance to continue to stay in the top tier. Illinois has the ability to do that as long as they get off this mini schneid. Is Michigan State the cure that ails them? I think it can be. You know, my heart is telling me that ugh, I don't like this. I feel like this is a potential slide, not the likes of which we saw with the football team, right? After the four-game win streak, then they just kind of crapped the bed in the last three games, or at least the last two. The Iowa game was tough for football. But as I look at this basketball team, I don't foresee that. I don't foresee disaster or a catastrophic end of this year. But I do see a way where maybe they go like 11-9 and nine in conference, where they only win three more games, and let's call that Indiana and Nebraska at home and at Northwestern, something like that. Even though Northwestern, whoa, <laughs> should have beaten Rutgers last night, though that might have something more to do with Rutgers in the way they're playing now. But, you know, the Big Ten title's still on the table here. Let's not forget that. You beat Michigan State and you win one of the next two road games. You find yourselves at that point 10 and 5. And 14 and 6 is on the table as long as you beat Northwestern and one other team on the road, and that would be Rutgers, Penn State, Ohio State, any combination of that, and you hold serve at home. So it's out there. And 14-6 and six might still do it, though I look at Maryland and think, you know, 15-5 and five is possible for them as well. With only three losses in conference, you're looking at them splitting against Michigan State. That get them to four losses, and then the other road games are at Ohio State, at Minnesota, at Rutgers. Nothing really tough at home, Northwestern and Michigan. I'm, I'm just thinking at this rate, 15-5 and five is looking more likely for them. So now that we settle back from Big Ten title talk, we'll have to revisit that in a couple weeks if we get another one on the road and we hold serve at home. Then we can revisit it. And while it's disappointing to put that on the back burner, it's okay. It's okay. When I look at this team, the expectations we had coming in, it was make the tournament, right? Tournament or bust. Make the stupid tournament, as we said on here. And the secondary thing on the checklist would have been, well, what if this team is really good? That's on the table. Second or third in the Big Ten would certainly do that. But I think it's also about the way in which they play the games, you know, the eye test factor, which has not really been all that great the last three games. You look at Minnesota after the Michigan game, and listen, the Michigan game, we could go back to that too, but the aisle buzzer beater certainly paints a nice little picture on what was an otherwise iffy performance on the road. Minnesota, you got the gritty home win and what could have been a trap game but wasn't pretty. You know, we're still kind of chasing that second half Purdue performance or even 70% of what you saw in that second half there. And then you have the road game against Iowa. It was kind of your C game, though you had an opportunity to win. 
And then, I don't know, what do we call that, a C-minus game against Maryland? I mean, probably D-plus after the first 10 minutes of the game. So it does feel like this is a team that, if they don't get in their own way, they can be really good. I had a text thread going with Isaac and Trevor, and Trevor made this point that when this team is not making mistakes and when they are not shooting themselves in the foot, they tend to win games. I mean, let's go back to the games they haven't won. Miami, you spot them a 27-point lead. That's stupid. And yeah, I know Miami made every single three-pointer or so it seemed that night, but still a very messy performance by Illinois. Okay, Yeah, they were going to score their points, but Illinois was turning the ball over so much in that first half that it just led to this crazy Miami run. Look at the Missouri game. Talk about stupid. Just dumb basketball across the board, back to the turnover factor, which really had not been at play for Illinois until this Maryland game. It didn't seem like they were having the same bugaboo with turnovers. Michigan State, you know, a couple of bad shooting night with those turnovers, which were a problem in the Michigan State game. It does seem like when this team plays relatively clean basketball, they're hard to beat. And that goes back to the fact that they continue to rebound well, that they have a really good one, two, three guard setup with Trent, Io, and Andres. Feliz is playing out of his mind right now. Io's struggling, though, by his standards, and I feel like he can flip that back on whenever. Michigan State seemed to do it for him last year. Trent is playing well when he's on the court. When he's on the court. But then the foul issues, right? And I feel like this is the third out of four games where he has had two fouls in the first half. You take him out and really disrupt his rhythm. Kudos to Brad Underwood for saying, you know, we got to look at that. And I hope he does because the risk of letting the other team mount that comeback in the first half or gain whatever advantage they can when Trent's not on the court, you know, you got to weigh your risk here. I feel like keeping Trent out of there, even with two fouls, is far more risky. And he is a junior. You can ask him, hey, lay off on defense. And of course, the opposing team's going to know that. But he's too valuable on offense to keep him out of there. He's your one consistent three-point threat. Alan Griffin, fortunately, is emerging there as well. But yeah, if this team just doesn't get in their own way, they're fine, right? They're pretty good. They're still ranked this week, 22nd. I think what that says is the national media looks at the Maryland game as two things. Maryland validating how good they are and that Illinois is a good team. Not great, but they're good. Nothing to worry about. We feel it far differently here because of the buildup and because of the emotion that we had that Friday night. We feel it differently than an Andy Katz or a Seth Davis who had Illinois 12th, number 12 in the nation. And Seth, thank you and keep putting us high up there. It helps us out. This is probably not the 12th best team in the nation. But in Seth's defense, if they put everything together, why couldn't they be? And it feels like that's what we're waiting for, right? Tantalizing taste of consistency. The seven-game win streak. Three of those on the road in places that other teams don't win. Look at what Purdue and Wisconsin are doing. Look at what Michigan's doing now. And fortunately, what a good weekend for Illinois in terms of the wins that they have look better and better with the way that those three teams are playing. Michigan has played themselves back into the tournament, and I think may keep that going as well. But yeah, it's tantalizing to see these little little snippets of really good basketball and think, man, if they just put this all together, no reason that they can't finish 14-6 and in the conference or still compete for the conference title. But even if they don't and find their way to a five or six seed in the tournament, which again is still on the table, all these amazing things are still on the table. But before we get ahead of ourselves, it feels like, wait a second, wait a second. We got to beat Michigan State. And to say must win is a bit hyperbolic. It is not, by definition, a must win game. They would still be in the tournament, even with the loss to Michigan State. They might still be in the tournament if they lose to Michigan State and Rutgers and Penn State. Actually, in fact, I'm pretty sure they would be, but maybe more like a 10 seed. So the question is well, what are we willing to accept given that our expectations have changed? First off, let's answer the question, is it okay to change expectations? Of course, you recalibrate. So it is unfair for people to say, well, you know, all you wanted before the year was for them to make the tournament, right? So you can't complain. No, I think that's unfair. We don't know what we have until we see it. We can speculate. We can prognosticate and predict. Sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're not. But then when you see the actual product on the court, that is what you have to go off of. So yeah, at this point, after seeing that seven-game win streak, and feeling like the back half of the Big Ten schedule is more favorable for you, it would be disappointing if they go 11-9 and and they get a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. That would be disappointing. Would I be okay with it? I guess. 
But then all of a sudden, you feel like it's more important for them to have a good run in the Big Ten tournament or to win a couple NCAA tournament games. What I want to do at the end of the season is look at the body of work, look at a second place or third place finish in the Big Ten, and look at getting a six seed in the tournament and making it to that second game and say that's what you needed to get things going. But I really don't want to be facing the situation where the only thing to get us back into, yay, good season camp, would be them winning a couple games in the tournament. We all want that. We all want the Sweet 16 appearance, but guess what, Illini fans? And we, we all relate to this. Tournament success is fleeting. We haven't really had a lot of it, if you think about it. They have the years where they either make the Final Four or they don't make it out of the first weekend. So it seems. But you know what? It's a lot more easy to take. It's an easier pill to swallow if they finish second or third in the Big Ten and they lose that second round matchup. It's okay. I'm looking at the body of work here. And what I want to do is check the regular season off the list and at the end of it say, wow, okay, like we're ahead of schedule. This feels good. This feels like we did make that jump and we are here to stay. Lose to a Michigan State. And then that creeping doubt comes right back in. And I hate that. I don't want to succumb to that pessimism, okay? Cynicism would be far too much of a word, but pessimism that, oh man, was that seven-game win streak a mirage? Was it masking what are clear issues on this team? The three-point shooting, a clear issue. Kofi's youth becoming an issue. Georgie inconsistency becoming an issue on a game-to-game basis. Okay, but guess what? I look around the Big Ten and everybody's got issues. Why can't we be the team with issues that happens to win 14 games and finish second or first? So it's weird to look back on Friday, after which I had tweeted out immediately afterwards just to set the expectation that there was not going to be a podcast over the weekend. I didn't want to do that. I didn't have it in me on Saturday or Sunday to talk about the game. And if I did, it was very fleeting. I would say something to Kara, who's probably just sick of hearing it by now, but God, that sucked. I can't, ugh. It was so close. DeMonte hit two threes in the first five minutes of the game, and the State Farm Center felt like the assembly hall of old. And if we would have just won that stupid game, and think about this too. This is why sports are just, it's crazy the impact it has on our personal lives, on how we feel, on our emotions. Wake up Saturday, it's a cloudy day. By the way, I had the crappiest night's sleep in some time. And that might have been the fact that there were a few more Diet Coke and Captain mixes in there with caffeine. So it was probably overly caffeinated. But I wake up at 3 in the morning briefly on Saturday. And I'm like, that sucked. That just sucked. (laughs) Because it did. And then I wake up that uh, Saturday morning, I don't know, about 8 o'clock or something. Casey Bogoslod had a tweet that said, what a gloomy morning or something. I'm paraphrasing here, but I thought you're right, Casey. It is because it's cloudy and it's cold and there's a chance of freezing rain or whatever. And then Illinois lost last night and just life sucks. And this is going to be the longest weekend ever. Knowing the alternative, knowing the alternative, and this is why sports are crazy, would have been the happiest weekend in years. All because Illinois won a game on Friday. All because they beat a top 10 team and took sole possession of first place. So it's, it's so tough as I try to move on. And for the most part, I have. And I realize this is what's in front of them. This game against Michigan State, where they can right the ship and get right back to where they had been playing before. They can do that. In one night, that's the beauty of basketball, is you can have a three-game stretch where you just stink. And then all of a sudden, you don't. Problem is, Michigan State could have the same thing. But man, knowing what last weekend would have been like. That almost makes, that's the carryover effect. It's as if the Maryland game, if it were on a Monday or Tuesday night and you had a game that Saturday, I feel like it would have been easier to get over. The Friday night thing, it felt like a heavyweight title bout. It was this opportunity right back here in Champaign where it's supposed to be. This is our arrival game. I build it up and I don't regret building it up because you only get so many of those moments, right? And I hope that Brad Underwood and this program get plenty of them in the years ahead. And I think the more they get, the more success they're going to have. Just put yourself in position to have these big moments and the wins will come. But they weren't ready yet. You know, and I I do think about that. I'm watching Maryland and thinking this is a program that Mark Turgeon has built over seven, eight years. Now, Maryland fans, I think, have their own issues with Turgeon. He's kind of viewed as a guy that isn't all that great of an X and O's coach. But he does work at Maryland with the Under Armour connections. He gets studs. And we saw it. Studs on the court. But he outcoached Underwood on Friday. 
And the talent discrepancy, man, was that on display too. We weren't ready. You know, we weren't ready for primetime in that moment. Doesn't mean that we can't be ready for that second tier, which I'm okay with now. I'm okay with. If I've settled on one thing, it's that the Big Ten tournament dream, sorry, Big Ten title dream, is likely done. And that, I think, has more to do with Maryland than Illinois. I don't see them slowing down. So, okay, we turn the page on that, only to revisit it if we need to. But I'm okay with second tier. I'm okay with a second to fourth place finish. You just build up such a stock of good wins, good road wins, that anything less than that does feel like a disappointment. And I don't want the repeat of football season. I said earlier that I don't foresee that happening. I don't. I don't foresee this team ending with the same sort of that football did. Namely, the talent discrepancy. I mean, come on, football, they had injuries. They weren't all that talented to begin with compared to their opponents, right? I mean, they weren't even all that more talented than Northwestern, a 2-8 and Northwestern team, and we saw it in that last game of the year. But with this basketball team, I think there's enough talent to overcome this slump. It is a mild slump. Don't let it become a big one. Don't let it become something where all this cachet that we build up and all this momentum and energy and excitement that Illini fans have built up I don't want that to go away. I don't want to leave State Farm Center on Tuesday night thinking, well, where do we go from here? What's next? Are we sliding? And now we go on the road for two really tough games against teams that are really good. Yeah, Rutgers could have lost at home to Northwestern. So could Illinois. We could have lost at home to Northwestern. Penn State, god dang. I mean, that Pat Chambers has really built something there. Took him a long time. So I see all this around. I'm seeing programs in the Big Ten having more success than they have in the past. Rutgers and Penn State, that takes a long time to build. We're seeing Brad Underwood in year three with Illinois seemingly get that consistency going. All things tend to be trending upwards. Andre Crabello looks like an absolute stud. From the get-go, he's going to be an impact player. It feels like next year's roster, when all said and done, will be better than this year's, long as Kofi stays. And even if Io goes, you'll be better. That's a scary thought. And the Big Ten, I think, is on notice. I think the Big Ten looks at what Illinois is doing and thinks, well, this is certainly different than the Gross era. That was an era of unfulfilled promise. All that promise came from a really good year one with Bruce Weber's players, and he never really could capitalize on that. This is different. This is Underwood's program. He's put his mark on it. He has shown some malleability as a coach, some flexibility. I appreciate that. If anything, I thought that his bugaboo was going to be being stubborn. That he is the, you know, shoot within three seconds guy. And we're going to play really frenetic defense. And all of our guys are going to be exhausted after 20 minutes of playing time. No, he's adjusted. That is something that we don't see from the football program that I think will give Brad Underwood a better shot at long-term success here. But I do want to put an exclamation point on year three. I don't want it to just be a period. I want an exclamation point after second place Big Ten, five seed in the NCAA tournament, maybe a Sweet 16 appearance. But again... NCAA tournament success, as we so often talked about on TNJ, Jeremy said, you know, it's the conference success that can be sustainable. In the tournament, it is really based on matchups, a little bit of luck of the draw. It's the NCAA tournament. We see it time and time again. The best teams don't always win the NCAA tournament. And the really good teams sometimes don't even win their first game. Whatever. It would suck. I don't want to lose the first game of the tournament. But you know what? Again... It's something that if you give me a 22-10 and 10 record and a Big Ten tournament title appearance, that I'm going to take it in its totality and get over that NCAA tournament disappointment far easier. Because when I look at, let's say, Wikipedia, and I'm looking at the Illini basketball history, just like I did with media guides back in the day, you start to see that consistent 22-23 win stretch. Lou Henson had it in the 80s. Certainly, Illinois had it from basically Lon Kruger through the first few years of Bruce Weber. That was consistent. And, and you always would see, too, top four finishes in the Big Ten. How he used to get so frustrated about Wisconsin finishing top four in the Big Ten. Hey, when all said and done, maybe they will again, even without Kobe King. But why not start that run right now? You know, Why not let this be the, the springboard to greater success? It's still there. So what happens Tuesday night? State Farm Center. Let's try this again. Let's try this again. Let's get on the right foot. Right now, there's no spread. As time of recording, there's no spread. If I had to guess, 
It's not going to be all that dissimilar from the Maryland spread. Illinois, I think, was a three-point favorite going into it. I know Maryland's better than Michigan State. But you have two teams that are desperate for a win. You tend to like the home team in that situation. You know that Illinois historically does pretty well against Michigan State. I'd have to go back to when Izzo's been there, but I feel like Izzo can't be that much over 500 against Illinois. In a weird way, it feels like the Illinois-Indiana rivalry, where even when Bob Knight had things really rolling at Indiana, you matched them when you played them. So let's call it a three, four-point spread. Maybe it'll work its way up, but I, I can't see it being much more than that. I think Illinois wins. You know, and I said that I don't want this to be the kiss of death. I said the same thing before Maryland. I said they were going to win both of these games. But certainly the context of this game against Michigan State has changed. I do think Illinois wins because I still don't want to sell this team short for the toughness that they have. The toughness was still on display against Maryland, but you mixed it with dumb basketball and a really good Maryland team that the three, four, and five options were hitting their shots. I mean, it's one thing if Anthony Cowan and Jalen Smith get going. You expect that. You held Jalen Smith at bay. But when the three, four, five guys are doing what they did like Maryland, it didn't matter. felt like any guy that took a shot for Maryland that night was going to make it. Field goal percentage was certainly over 50. I'd have to check the totals. But I think it was around 60% at halftime. And yet you were still up two. So this is the weird thing about this Illinois team. They tend to find themselves in these close games. The last blowout would have been, well, the two Purdue games, I think. And he stretched the Minnesota game to like eight points by the end of it with free throws. But that was a one-point game with three minutes to go. I'm waiting for the blowout. Maybe it could happen against Michigan State. They've gotten blown out on the road plenty so far. At Michigan, at Wisconsin, at Purdue. All places Illinois has won. Why can't that happen on Tuesday? When Illinois was up 30-15, to 15, I thought they can blow Maryland out. And I never would have guessed that going in. Of course, that was probably the, the buzz I had going on. And the buzz of the State Farm Center. We all probably felt that moment like, well, why not make it an easy win and just save ourselves, you know, those tense moments that you get in a one or two possession game. I could see it happen with Michigan State. I think it would have been more likely had you just beaten Maryland, period. Because unfortunately, if we as fans are feeling that creeping doubt, I got to think it's only human nature for the players themselves to feel that too. The highest of highs. They're at 8-2 in the conference. And then they lose at Iowa in the manner in which they did. And then they lose at home to Maryland. Two crazy environments where they held the lead in both of those. Far later in the Iowa game. But a far larger lead in the first half against Maryland. And they couldn't hold either. So I have to think there is that creeping doubt. And this is why Brad Underwood is getting paid the $3-plus million a year. Not only are you an X and O's coach, but you're a psychologist. What approach is he going to take with this team? Or what approach did he take with this team since that loss against Maryland? I read a bit of the post-game interview on Friday, and it felt like he was saying the right things, wasn't sounding the alarm bell. And the message seemed to be Maryland just played better than we did, and they hit more shots, and it stinks, and we'll get back at it. And maybe it's that simple. Trevor himself said all the right things too. Like, you know, I mean, it doesn't bother me that much considering the opponent. And I get it. It only bothered me because of the gravity of the moment. It bothered me more, let me say, because of the gravity of the moment and what could have been than the actual result itself, if that makes sense. Just give me the box score and the fact that that Maryland team beat this Illinois team. Fine. It stinks, but that's okay. But the gravity of the moment just made it feel worse than maybe what it actually was. So you do hit some shots against Michigan State. You hold what has been a really struggling offense at bay, which I got to think Illinois' defense, the cure that ails them, it's not on the road against Iowa. It's not this Maryland team where that Maryland team is hitting shots. It's this Michigan State team who offensively have not been good for a month. And since the Illinois game, I'd have to go and look back, which I'll, I'll do right now, but I'm thinking, when was the last time I watched a Michigan State game and that offense looked potent? If I go back to their recent history here, here's their offensive output in the last month. After the Illinois game, they did smoke Michigan at home, 87-69. And then they beat Minnesota, which that seems to be a good matchup for Michigan State. They beat them handily both times. But at Purdue, 42 points. Home against Wisconsin, 67. At Indiana, 63. At Minnesota, they got 70. Northwestern home, 79. But here's the three-game stretch. 63 points against Wisconsin. 70 against Penn State. And Penn State tends to play higher scoring games, and then at Michigan State, 68 points. So this is by no means a juggernaut, and on the road especially. They've been very pedestrian on offense. 
So it's right there. You know, I mean, this is a good Illinois defense and a not so good Michigan State offense. You got to think, okay, can we hold them to around 60 points? I think they can. I think they can, even if Cassius Winston goes off, because the supporting cast is not like what Maryland has. Xavier Tillman might very well have a coming out party. But again, Illinois all season has done a pretty good job of keying in on the best player on the opposing team or the two best players. And apart from Luca Garza really taking that game over in Iowa City, there haven't been too many moments where the opposing team's best player has dominated you. So I feel like they can keep Tillman from having that coming out game. I feel like they can keep Cassius Winston at, let's say, a 16-point performance and not the 28 or whatever he had against Michigan, which, again, wasn't enough. But like basketball, any basketball game, the equalizer is the three-pointer. And if Illinois just makes some shots, all of this is nullified. All of it. If Trent and Io and Alan Griffin are making threes. We don't even need two threes from DeMonte this game. I hope not. It'd be great if you did. But just make some three-pointers. Opens everything up. Kofi should allow for that because you still, even on a bad night, Kofi needs to be accounted for by the opposing team. Illinois got their looks against Maryland. Just weren't making them. And now that Michigan State and other teams have the tape, run a zone on Illinois. Well, how do you bust a zone? Make some threes. Find the middle of that zone. This is where Georgie could actually have a coming out party if he wants it, if he wants it. And he can actually play smart basketball for 30 minutes out there. So what I'm interested in is less about the margin of victory, less about individual performances. It's about this team coming out confident because they are still relatively green. They're still relatively young. And I know that the young guys like Georgie have started every game. Like I commented earlier, it's so frustrating that he's playing dumb basketball at points when he's been out there since day one. These guys are older than their years would indicate, but they're still 19, 20-year-old guys. And even the most competitive of individuals, when you have a slump like this, how do you respond? Illinois needs to come out and punch Michigan State in the mouth. They need to come out like the home team that's second place in the Big Ten that has a better overall record than Michigan State. They need to play like the team that wants to arrive. Michigan State, old news. They are what they are. They might make their inevitable run in March, but I've seen good Michigan State teams lose in the first round too. They might just not be that good. I don't want the flip side of that to be the narrative on Wednesday. Well, what if Illinois is not all that good? I don't want that. I want to stay in the top 25. I want to continue to feel like this is the coming out party for Brad Underwood and that we are going to continue to have the success. And by beating Michigan State and doing so in a confident manner, regardless of margin of victory, that to me will go so much further than anything. The Maryland game, hey, it's, it's in the past. It stinks. What can you do? I hate it. I still do. I can't drop it, seemingly. But the Michigan State game, despite them not being ranked, it's Michigan State. It's a name opponent. People are still going to give Illinois credit for beating Michigan State at home, regardless of what Michigan State's done. And let the narrative on Wednesday be, man, Michigan State, they're really struggling after yet another loss, this time at Illinois. Don't let it be Michigan State gets off the schneid. Ugh, off the schneid. Don't let that be the narrative on Wednesday. That would suck. All of a sudden, now you're in that big muddled mess for third through seventh place in the Big Ten. And the way Purdue's and Wisconsin's are playing, Michigan even, that's not where you want to be. You want to stay above that fray. You want to stay above water here and keep that distance between you and also create more distance between yourself and Michigan State, a team that through the rest of the year with Michigan State's tough schedule, you will be competing with for seeding in the Big Ten tournament. There's a lot to play for. I'm looking specifically at Io because if this is to be best case scenario season, Io goes pro. You make the tournament, Io goes pro, Corbello and Miller come in, along with Coleman Hawkins, who I feel bad I never talk about him, but he's a pretty good recruit as well. And then the long-term success is really starting to get established, and Io's legacy will be secure. But this is the kind of game where your best player needs to come out and be the best player on the court. He needs to be every bit as good as Cassius Winston, if not better. You're the home team. It's your place, Io. Run the show. Be the story. Don't let Cassius Winston, as for everything he's done in his career, steal the spotlight. It's a Tuesday night, nationally televised game against Michigan State. It's your moment. Take it. Andres Feliz, I mean, just go ahead and put in 14 and 6 rebounds for him because that's what he's going to do. 
That's what Andres Feliz is doing right now. He is playing some of the best ball in the Big Ten. If there's a six-man of the year award, I don't know if they still have it, but he would certainly be the guy to look at for that. Keep Trent out of foul trouble, and even if he gets to Brad, it's time to get risky. You cannot have Trent Frazier only play 10 minutes in the first half. He's got to play more. And just ask him to be careful. It's a risk I think you need to take in a game like this. Georgie, my man. The collective groan from the State Farm Center when he made that pass. People muttering under their breath, Georgie, you know, like Joe Pesci pseudo cursing in Home Alone. You know, it needs to change. And you can't not play Georgie, double negative there, in this game against Michigan State because Michigan State is a bigger team. You need size. So Georgie's going to get his, well, minutes at least. The question is, is he going to get his in terms of production? He's capable, but he's got to start making the bunnies. He's got to stop turning the ball over. And he's got to start making his free throws, which I think the stat is 8 of 18 from the line in the Big Ten and 0 for 4 against Maryland. Free throws, that's a whole other thing. Haven't even addressed it yet. Part of the reason I don't is because it feels like free throws can become such a mental thing. And it's almost like, don't even talk about it. They're either going to make it or they aren't. Certainly as a fan, there's nothing I can do. And I do wonder in practice, is that something you harp on or just let bygones be bygones? Back to the psychology part of it. I'm not really sure. And I wouldn't know what the best approach would be. Kofi could have another big game. You know, but at Michigan State was the first time that Kofi looked shook out there. He did not look good at Michigan State. Maybe that was a matchup thing. Maybe it was the fact that it was on the road at Breslin Center. I'm not sure. But come on. I mean, this team has been through too many wars. This team has been through too many big-time environments to all of a sudden lose two straight home games in two great home environments. They've been through too much. What was the thing after Michigan? We've come too far to come this far. Something like that, where basically we aren't done yet. And they shouldn't be. And they need to come out with a kick-ass attitude. I hope they do. I feel like I'm trying to talk myself into entering the State Farm Center Tuesday night with more energy than I had when I started this podcast. Because it's still a big deal. This is a big game. Don't let what happened Friday dissuade you from that. And it is the difference potentially between maintaining second for the rest of the year in the Big Ten if you play your cards right. Or falling into that middle of the pack. Ho-hum. Which would be, I say ho-hum. It would be ho-hum after starting 7-3. and three. Or sorry, 8-2 and two in conference. It would be ho-hum after starting 8-2 and two in conference. So I predict an Illinois win. Famous last words, I don't know, kiss of death, whatever. Um, this is kind of a bonus pod just like last week because we will do the whole thing with Trevor and Isaac on Wednesday. And I'm hoping that we have something positive to talk about in the aftermath of that Michigan State game. It is paint the whole orange essentially 20 or 19 years after the first one. It is still Michigan State at Illinois. That's the hot ticket. And the crowd will bring it. I have no doubt about that. I think the team will bring it, but will they be able to sustain it for 40 minutes? And will they be able to absorb that punch, the inevitable punch from Michigan State? Or will they not be able to, just like the Maryland game? Eventually, the punches just became too many. You couldn't keep up. And you saw Illinois, for the first time in a long time, I felt like, look kind of dejected and resigned to the fate. I really felt like the last four minutes of that game, even the team wore it on their face. They wore it on their shoulders, slumped shoulders. This is it. Man, we blew it. They knew it. They knew it. But you want them to be almost blissfully unaware of that. You want them to be this sort of hyper-competitive, oh, it doesn't matter what the score is. We're going to go out there and do what we got to do. No, they're human beings. They felt it. They knew it just like we did. Their Friday night probably sucked just as much, well, I'm sorry, a lot more than us as fans. I can't imagine the adrenaline that would have been pumping through those guys. And then when it finally goes away and it's 4 o'clock in the morning and they're still awake thinking about, ah, man, what if? That's certainly a more potent feeling of what if than I would have had waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. I hope they do. You know, as an Illini fan, I I had that venom in me on Friday night. I was loud. You can hear my voice a little bit because we had band practice over the weekend, the game on Friday night. My voice is hurting. And it was nice to be full-throated. It was cathartic to get angry at bad officiating calls, to yell with the masses. It's a total meatball sports thing, and that's okay. Every now and then it's okay to be a total meatball sports fan. I felt it. Fist pumps. A lot of let's go, let's go. 
But again, full-throated, something I haven't done to State Farm Center in years. But I'm going to do it again on Tuesday night. You know, this team is worth cheering that loudly for. I I think that. And I want the positivity to just, boom, like a switch, be right back with this fan base because we felt it in that stadium. It could have been a special night. It just wasn't in the cards. Well, okay, guess what? Here's the mulligan. Let's try this again. And what a great luxury to have. I wouldn't like this team going, let's say, to Rutgers tomorrow night and then playing Michigan State on Saturday at the State Front. No, I think this actually works out perfectly. You get the mulligan. What an opportunity to get another marquee win. And yeah, I know it's not going to look that way. Michigan State, they're struggling, whatever. It's not a top 10 team. But that name on the jersey is going to raise enough eyebrows to really legitimize Illinois. Not that they need a ton of legitimizing, but sometimes after a little bit of a mini slump, even the players themselves need some validation. The fan base needs a little bit of validation that, yeah, it was worth it to go on the secondary market and get those tickets for the, the Maryland and Michigan State games because you were so excited and you didn't know what else to do. Yeah, I think we all need a little bit of validation to get the swag back before a two-game road stretch where if you just get one of them, you feel good. And I think Illinois is going to compete in both games. I mean, I think most every game this year, Illinois is going to compete because here's the good news. No one else you face the rest of the schedule is as good as Maryland. And I'd like to think that the Maryland game is one of the weaker performances that Illinois will have the rest of the year. Mix those two things together. And the very good conference schedule is right there for you. Yeah, everyone's playing pretty good in the Big Ten. I get it. Fine. But not everyone's playing like Maryland. Not everyone has the horses that Maryland has. So if you come out with your B game, Illinois, not your C minus or your D plus game, your B game, you're going to find your way to 13, maybe 14 wins in conference and all is well. We get excited for Selection Sunday. We get excited to not have to play until Friday of the Big Ten tournament. So, so much at stake. Yeah, the banner for Big Ten title, probably not going to be at the State Farm Center next year, okay, as we sit here on February 10th upon recording this podcast. And that would have been great. It would have really made it a season to remember because you take those banners any time that you can. But as it stands, beat the Spartans. Karen and I will be going tomorrow. She'll be in her green. I'll be in my orange. It does, and I got to be honest about this, I'm kind of glad she's going to be there because... As much as I enjoyed being a full-throated fan, all that energy, all that anger, grr, you know, being emotionally spent after that Maryland game, it's going to be nice to have a sort of, okay, grounding effect. It is still just a game. And just enjoy the basketball game for what it is, what should be, I think, an entertaining basketball game, what should be a very physical basketball game, the way Big Ten officials are calling it this year. It seems like, hey, have at it, boys. Go nuts. Now, God forbid you kind of get someone's jersey as they're going around to pick, but you can beat the crap out of guys in the post, apparently. That seems to be okay this year in the Big Ten. But I do like that. I like the grounding effect that Kara will have as we ride to the game with my parents. It'll feel a little bit old school in that regard. Getting picked up from my parents, getting the back seat, going to the State Farm Center. Um, one thing I will say is this having been the first game in years that have been State Farm Center. They are really doing an excellent job of making a production of it. Few, if any, times during timeouts, halftime, was there uh, silence or a weird sort of awkward, oh, God, can we just get the game going? The only times that I felt like, can we just get the game going, were when Maryland went on their runs, and I'm like, we need to get this going again so we can make our run. Like That, that was the only time I felt like, I don't want to say bored, but just sort of idle at the Illinois-Maryland game. I think that the production values of what they're doing there on game days. It's impressive. The Orange Crush is getting louder. Listen, they got to learn. They got to learn what it means to be in the Orange Crush when Illinois basketball is good. When I got to school in 2005, 06, 05, 06, Dean James last year, by that point, it was a well-oiled machine down there. You were either loud or you weren't in the Orange Crush. That was just the identity. They got to build that back up. So I'm not going to diss these kids for, well, it's not like it used to be. Why would it be? I mean, would the Orange Crush back in 1980 have been all that great after you spent the decade of the 70s sucking? I don't think so. So they're learning. They'll, they'll be fine. Kids will be fine. But it was really cool to be back there. It was cool to sense that, man, when Illini fans in that stadium collectively get loud, it is a crazy environment. Unfortunately, there were way too many moments in that game that took the air right out of the place. And 
Illini fans tried. I'm hoping it's not as much of a labored effort to be wowed against Michigan State. And that all comes from consistency. That comes from not having these prolonged slumps on offense. Just keep it going, right? <laughs> Avoid the five, six-minute drought, and I think the crowd will be what they'll be, which is excellent. But a lot of fun. Something that makes me think I want to go to more games, and let's just keep this thing going. Let's make it the hot ticket that it was. Not every game is going to be equally hot as hot of a ticket, I know, but it does feel like this remaining home schedule, Michigan State, Indiana, Iowa specifically, those three environments are going to be great. The Nebraska game, we'll see, but hopefully that's just a nice bonus, easy win in the Big Ten. You move on. Uh, but yeah, it's getting back. It's getting back. You could feel it with the traffic on the way to the stadium. You could feel it in the concourse. Everyone was feeling great. And I, I it was good to see that. And as someone that's lived in this community my entire life, that knows what it's like when it's good. I felt like this old man trying to tell Trevor or Isaac, hey guys, you know, back in 19 dickety two, well, it wasn't that long ago, right? It really wasn't. I'm only 33 for God's sakes. But the majority of my life up to, you know, 22 years old or something like that, Illinois basketball was consistently good. That was the environment you got. And then unfortunately from like 22 to 32, uh-uh, not good at all. So that's a full decade we're talking about where you got to get that culture and that identity back. And Illinois fans, or really any fandom, are part of that program's identity. So when things get going, and I hope it's a question of when, not if, and hopefully that when is now, when things get going, it does feel like Illinois can maintain. They can maintain the State Farm Center as one of the best venues in the Big Ten. They can maintain a 20-plus wins per year clip. They can maintain top four finishes in the Big Ten. That we can do and then have the occasional special season in there. But take this roster, bring on a Crabello and Adam Miller, hopefully get some more recruiting success as you go forward. You got the transfers that are going to be eligible next year, a lot of depth on next year's team, and really probably only losing Io, presumably, and Kipper. That's something to work with. And I think Illinois fans recognize that, and I don't foresee next year there being a whole lot of available tickets for these big name Big Ten opponents. I don't think you're going to get that next year either. So it feels like we're on the up. The Maryland game is a blip and hopefully one that we just look back on a few years from now and say, well, at that moment, we just weren't ready yet, but we were still on the way up and that was a blip. Let's make it a blip. Let's try this again. Michigan State, 8 o'clock, Tuesday night, State Farm Center. Maybe you're listening to this on the way to the stadium or on the way to Champaign if you're traveling from out of the town. Uh, But uh, this is hopefully something that... I felt like I had to do after a weekend ignoring Illini basketball. I had to. I mean, I had to take a break from it. And trying to get the mojo back myself. Trying to get the good vibes back myself because I don't want to appeal to my more pessimistic side. I don't want to fall back into the trap that was so easy to fall back into the last 10 years. Out of necessity, really. If you were really watching the games the last 10 years, how could you not be pessimistic of what you saw in front of you? I don't want to do that. I want to be the fanboy that's part of my Twitter moniker. That's what I want. It's more fun that way. It's probably more fun for you to listen to than me going, or eh, whatever. Which football, listen, after that recruiting class, it kind of is what it is at this point. But basketball, just do your thing. I got the Yankees. They're a consistent. Illinois basketball, be my other consistent. And that gets me essentially through the entire year. I got baseball from April to October. And I got basketball from November through March. You give me that, I'm a happy sports fan. The Bears can continue to be the joke that they are. Illini football can continue to be one of the worst Power 5 football programs out there. And I'm fine. I'm fine. And I know I'm not alone because if you're a Cardinals fan or a Cubs fan, you got your baseball season covered. White Sox fans, hey, looks like you might have your baseball seasons covered too. So now we just got to fill the void. And it was a void that I never had to worry about filling. November through March, it was set. We're all good. I'm covered. For the next five months, we're right there. Beat Michigan State. And then we're all feeling good again, right? I got to thank DP Doe, Almighty DP Doe.com. Sponsors of the 200 level and all the best deals and prices are online at DP Doe.com. Delivery anywhere in Champaign Urbana. Fourth and Kirby, coupon code 200 level, 200 level, or the coupon code the 200 level works. They put both of those in there. 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And then finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your insurance needs. 
brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer, Jeremy Warner and the guys over there doing an excellent job in what is a very consequential year, as we said at the beginning of the 200 level and covering every angle of this and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. So what we'll do is be back Wednesday. This is another kind of bonus pod. Trevor and Isaac and myself will just come right into it. No opening segment or anything Wednesday. We'll just discuss what is hopefully a return to form for the Salina basketball team. I think it will be. And if not, Wednesday morning is going to really be a bummer. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be a bummer if they lose. But guess what? Let's not even worry about that and get back to 9-4 and four in the Big Ten and an opportunity to win another road game, whether it be at Rutgers or Penn State. And man, we're feeling just as good as we were during that seven-game win streak. All right, until Wednesday, if you want to see me at the State Farm Center, you know where to find me. I'll be in the 200 level.